Are you ready? It's that time! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to season four, episode four, I think, of Man, Buns, and Jesus. We're so happy that most of you are here. That one other person, you know who you are. And if you're all feeling bad right now, what did you do? Um, Why is the law hitting you like that? You automatically assume the one person that we don't want listening is you. I want to know what what sin you have committed against us that you think is so bad. Um, Unless you're Caleb. Then we know. It's not a war crime the first time. Um, This is Man Buns and Jesus. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Laboria. I'm a pastor. Believe it or not, I am a pastor out in Eastvale, California. And uh, the other gentleman on this on this recording with me is the esteemed Reverend Benjamin Olschlager, uh, the very prim and proper pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lake Orion, Michigan. I, I want to apologize for anyone watching the, the recording for the, the lighting uh, Why, situation. You look like a supervillain? Yeah, possibly. Um, the, the the camera I've got on my home computer is not not the most ideal situation. So if you buy me. enough of our t-shirts though, then Ben can afford a new camera. <laughs> uh, I just gotta find the other one. Anyway. Um, but we are we're continuing in this series where we're looking at the wisdom literature of scripture. So this is uh, Proverbs, this is Ecclesiastes. Uh, books like that, um, that for the most part, just have a lot of kind of wisdom, as would make sense for something called the wisdom literature. Uh, and we're we're doing this partially as a filler while we get our act together for season five. And today we're going to look at Ecclesiastes, and it's a passage that if you're from, like, if you're familiar with one passage from Ecclesiastes, it is probably this one. And I want to add a little addition here, and it's probably not the version of this one that you find in the English Standard Version. But that's what I'm going to read, because that's that's the version that, to my knowledge, we both use regularly. So this is Ecclesiastes 1, starting at verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? The generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full, to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. 
and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This sounds like a prophecy from Lord of the Rings. So where are we going with it, uh, Benjamin? So where are we going with this is a great question because I think uh, as, as preachers, generally we avoid passages like this. My guy, I would I would relish preaching on this text. That's fair. Okay, uh, some of us with a heart would struggle to preach this. Um, <laughs> you mean boring preachers? Because it, like the te uh, the temptation here, preaching the text is to get real, real heavy. Um, because the message of this text is really heavy. So in the words I mean, of Ronnie Coleman, lightweight baby. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so what, what we want to do is we, we want to talk about why this is why this is in scripture in the first place. Like why is it that we get this heavy, heavy application from Solomon? Really just stating that life is meaningless life is vanity life is pointless what is solomon setting up here why is he making those observations but then as christians like is this wisdom that we accept is this wisdom that we push back on or is there something else to it um, and hopefully as, as we kind of walk through this, um, you'll find that some of this stuff will apply to other passages in scripture that you struggle with because they seem kind of depressing. Um, but also hopefully we can give you a little context on, um, specifically the book of Ecclesiastes and, and why it seems like just Honestly, like the inspiration for a, a emo garage band from the 90s, like debut album. Um, Tears of Solomon, that would be the band name. I might need to text a couple pastors in the, in the district and see if we can't make that happen. Um, I will buy your album. Okay. I don't have a record player, but I would buy the record to frame and put on the wall. Okay. I'm, I'm cool with that. If we can make that happen, I'm cool with that. But Josh, my question for you today, like first, vanity as we use it in modern culture isn't necessarily what Solomon's talking about here, right? We, we think of vanity as um, probably for, for most of us, it's this trait that's endemic to people who are too uh, focused on their appearance. Um, that's typically where we go with the word vanity, but that's not necessarily what Solomon's getting at here. He's getting at like, all of this seems to just be an excess. All of this seems to just be like putting lipstick on a pig. Um, so is he right? Yes. 
uh, and and that's I mean you you mentioned earlier in your kind of in in bringing us into the topic this well why is it here I think part of the reason it's here is just because it's it's true <laughs> like mm -hmm. this this is the state of the of the fallen creation and I don't I don't think it's because right the Bible just doesn't just describe everything that is part of reality right it would at that point be a nearly infinite book and to sidebar off of that real quick i think you bring up a good point in that scripture teaches what scripture teaches right its focus is on introducing us to uh the god that we worship um and part of that and I think this is part of what you're going to get into with this answer is revealing to us what life looks like now in the world before our God. And I think that's kind of part of where Solomon's going with this. I won't steal all of your thunder though, but well, and, and more also than that, we need to take safe application of how we use scripture outside of what it's teaching us about God in this world. Yeah, well, and I think that's kind of the, the more full understanding of why this passage is is present is because on some level it it validates if you're feeling this way um and it's it, i mean it's the same way like the book of lamentations exists and it's mm -hmm. like I think part of the function of of texts like these is to say, I mean, it's okay to be mad at God right now. I mean, watch, watch that your anger at God doesn't turn into uh, disrespect or blasphemy or anything like that. But anger is to some degree acceptable. And that's why we get lamentations and, um, which gives us language also to express that anger in a faithful way. Um, and I think like when I hear Solomon say, what, I mean, like, what does it matter? You know, a generation comes, a generation goes, the sun goes down, it comes up again, then it goes down again. And I, I, I'm sure it was like an instructor or a teacher at some point, they, they made the comment about all literature. It's all just a rewrite of, I think that their, uh, their like quintessential piece of literature was the Odyssey. And you say, no, everything's not just the Odyssey. And they would say, well, there's a hero. The hero goes on a journey. It comes to some sort of resolution. And the hero at the end isn't quite the same as the hero at the beginning. And if you're willing to generalize that much, yes, every single story that's ever been written just pretty much falls into that category. Um, and they're like, because if you look at society today, you see people arguing about politics and you say like, this is unprecedented. I, I mean, I've only been alive for 27 years. Uh, but I- The only thing unprecedented about, and you're 28 now. I am 28 now. The, um, the only thing that's unprecedented about this time is the frequency with which we use the word unprecedented. Right. Well, and I think maybe 
our awareness of of situations maybe but like if you look at history books this this kind of stuff has been the bread and butter of humanity for like i was watching the news today and i wasn't watching the news i i saw headlines scrolling across the bottom while i had my music on in the gym um but one of the headlines was like uh something something crisis they were setting something up, up as a crisis and i was like that's not that's not a crisis i mean it's on it, i don't even remember what it was i was like that's it's an unfortunate situation it's not a crisis and we do we tend to sensationalize things and we say oh this is the end of the world this is the end of the world this is unprecedented this but it's like no no i mean i'm sure that people have people... been arguing about power since the beginning of since the fall uh people have been doing terrible things to each other since the fall um the world has been struggling since the fall it's so like I, I told when I read the, these words of Solomon, I'm like, this is what happens when I'm left alone with my thoughts for too long. <laughs> right? Because I and, yeah. and here's here's maybe some wisdom that I can share with with our audience. Um, we we I think sometimes we spend too much time in our heads. Because like if if you just really kind of sit and you meditate on the state of the world, like this is where you're gonna end up. It's all it's all just a wash. Everything is meaningless. Like it's like who cares? Why does anything matter? So don't spend like be in the moment a little bit more, and and just kind of enjoy the creation that God has given you. Um, well, <laughs> Let yourself enjoy things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is this is Matthew seven, I believe. You can fact check me here. Uh, end of Sermon on the Mount. Uh, see the the birds of the air; they seem concerned about where their food comes from, and the Lord provides. See the daisies of the field. See how well they're they're robed. And, and... You were so close. Is it eight? It's six. Matthew 6, Shoot. 25 to the end. Yeah. Um, like, God designed his creation not to live in worry, but to live in goodness and in abundance. And it's, and don't and, hear us wrong. Like, we're not delusional. We know that creation's broken. Yeah. I'm short of that standard, but at the same time, most like, of us still experience just... some level of a good of goodness and abundance yet. And the fact that we're not willing to just sit back and, and go, yeah, this is pretty nice. Like right? I'm kicking it. Uh, remember the whole uh, poorly timed Corona um, ad campaign, find your beach when like all the beaches were closed and coronavirus was just like starting and everybody was like oh that's unfortunate um yeah yeah anyway to me there's there's something to that mentality of find like your find yeah, your beach find your beach but like let your beach be jesus um oh that like, gospel turn was quick well thank you um i but like what 
what you were saying earlier about uh, Solomon just like echoing the, so the the thoughts that you'd have in your head if you were left alone too long. That's that's a hundred percent accurate. I was reading an article the other day. Um, I can't remember what source it was from, but it was written by a longtime uh, clinical counselor who uh, was very much an advocate for, and still is very much an advocate for um, promoting mental health and mental health resources. But along the way throughout the article, she was kind of tempering how she thinks we need to go about like promoting those things because she's seen in the last 20 years during her practice it go from people that gen genuinely were feeling some level of you know depression anxiety hopelessness etc uh, or had real uh, like significant mental health issues to people coming in and using the same language to describe like levels of life-changing trauma and uh and despair and, and hurt for like there was one day my dad forgot me to pick forgot to pick me up from practice for two hours like and or like i ran into this person that disagrees with my lifestyle and it it was like traumatic and like she's like we're encouraging people to seek mental health resources and care. But in doing so, we're also educating people into how to experience trauma for things that they don't need to experience trauma for. And I think to, to circle this back, it's easy for us as humans to even in a cheery situation, we're sitting on the beach with our feet up and a beer in our hands, and we can still go, yeah, the weather sucks. This is meaningless. So, so it's I, easy to fall off that, that. I got a couple things I want to throw at a wall, and I want to see what sticks for you. Sure. The first, I want to, I want to give a context note for people on this, for anyone who's not. Um, I don't, I don't mean to, like to debase anyone when I say this, but for anyone who's not biblically literate, Solomon- I'm just not familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes because it's not one- Well, I'm, I'm about to explain who Solomon was and I feel oh, like okay. he's a big enough character. Sure. And so Solomon, who is the author here, was one of, if not the, he was one of the wealthiest and most powerful men of his time. If he wanted something, it was his. Uh, he was he was blessed by God with wisdom. And so like this dude had it all, right? So when he's saying everything's meaningless and he goes on in the rest of Ecclesiastes to talk about this a little bit, he's like, I'm not kidding guys, like I tried it. He's like, I tried parties all the time. I tried just being super rich and powerful. I tr I have, he had however many wives, like he had all of these, like he could try everything. And he, he came to this conclusion. Um, and I think part of it, and I think this is part of our broken humanity is when we don't have problems, we, we tend to invent them. 
And I think that's a little bit of what you were talking about is like in, in American society today, we have, we have so few like real life or death problems. For the vast majority of us, all of our basic needs are met. It's easy, like food is accessible, water is accessible, shelter is, is accessible. Like, like our, as far as like real, real problems, a lot of us can go very long stretches in our life without having them. And our, part of our brokenness is we, we tend to invent them. And, and part of it is like Ben said before, you just got to find your beach and say, you know what? Life is good right now. Praise God. Uh, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts. Um, and, and, but related to that, because I think what gets you there and I, a lot of the research coming out of all of the pandemic lockdowns is validating this. Having too much time with nothing to do gets you to this, this mental place that Solomon's at a lot faster, right? So if, if, you, if you're listening to this and you're saying, man, I'm really resonating with Solomon, I'm feeling this, like I'm struggling with this, Here's, here's my advice to you, and this is as a pastor who's had a couple counseling classes, right? So take it with a grain of salt. Uh, go be with other people and do stuff. It, even, you know, better, do productive stuff. Mm -hmm. Like if, if you live in a neighborhood, uh, go ask your neighbor, hey, can I mow your lawn for you? Like just go do something. Go bowling, go take a hike, go, like in the literal sense uh <laughs> right like go find people and hang out with people join a pickup mm -hmm. sock like do something with it and be with people and i i would suspect that for a lot of us it's going to pull us out of this kind of mindset that solomon's caught up in so those yeah. are the things i want to throw at the wall i i think even to add to that if you if that's one of the things that you're struggling with uh go find people to be in community with and if you're struggling for where to find that church go talk, church yeah go, go talk to your pastor uh like josh doesn't necessarily have the same kind of facilities needs at his congregation that mine does uh unless you want to like i don't know clean his apartment or something now that he's got a child uh or i don't know you probably aren't ready for babysitters yet, but like someday. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I already got a line out the door for that one. Okay, nice. That's that's good to hear, honestly. Um, but like, especially if you don't go to one of our churches, go talk to your pastor and be like, hey, uh, I want to do something for the church. You know, someone that would be willing to put me to work. Uh, at my church, we've got a handful of gardeners that like take care of our grounds. We got a couple of people that know their way around the building that like are always looking for hands to help with stuff. Um, well, like, and even like we don't have a facility we're taking care of, but like I got places I can point you to that are always happy for volunteers. Oh, yeah. Or if you just need that community, if you say, hey, uh, hey, Pastor Josh, uh, you want to meet once a week or once every other week for coffee? Yes, would be my answer. Yeah. 
The, the only like agreement I would make is that it's not exclusive, right? If other people want to join that time, then we, it would be open to other people as well. Cause like, I do have a finite number of hours in my day, <laughs> but I, yeah, just like, and I guess we can't speak for all pastors, but most of the pastors I know will jump at the chance to help you connect to the community and find stuff to do that, that serves God, that serves his people. So. Absolutely. Um, so a couple of things that, that jumped out to me as you were talking, uh, especially on the, like, the nature of one, um, our ability to find problems where, I mean, there are always problems, but like to find problems unnecessarily. Um, and maybe, and maybe uh, an addendum is to find problems that don't really have a solution. Yeah. Because I think a lot of the problems like you get YouTube clips of people complaining about at their court, what they're complaining about is human sinfulness. And yeah. it's like, you're not going to stop that from happening, right? Like there's no amount of reform that you're going to fix humanity. Yeah. Right. It, it took the, the sacrifice of the son of God to do that. And you are not him. Yeah. So go to, go to church. Yeah. There you go. Um, so it's got me thinking about yesterday. I think there was a, a yesterday as we're recording this, there was a referendum in the state of Ohio on um, pretty significant restrictions to abortion. Um, I don't remember exactly what it all looked like, but it was voted down pretty, pretty significantly. I saw that and went, mm, that's a bummer. Um, pulled up Facebook because I was thinking about posting something for the church. And uh, like the first half dozen suggested things on the church page were like, people decrying this as, as some significant work of Satan, which, yeah, but at the same time, posting an angry note on Facebook is not going to change the world. Uh, and to, in my mind, at least, that worry, that frustration could be better channeled elsewhere. And if you want to make a difference in that regard, go serve at a, a pregnancy center or um you know, go find the, the single mom in your neighborhood that could use some childcare and offer some help. Like, I think our, our, our desire to find problems also includes the desire to find problems that we don't have to solve. Because then we have something to be righteously angry about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We love finding other people's problems. Yeah. But then this also got me thinking about um, the, the, the words of, of uh, the wonderful philosophers and theologians that are the, the metal band Nine Inch Nails. Um, they have a, a terrific song that was covered by uh, Johnny Cash. Um, hurt? That they covered Johnny Cash? No, Johnny Cash covered them. I definitely thought Nine Inch Nails were not that old. Johnny Cash, no, so Johnny Cash was like in his 80s, I think, when he covered this song. Anyway. Anyway, you know the song Hurt? No. 
Um, give it a listen when you're done. It is like sorrowful and and like kind of depressing, but there's kind of a beauty to it. Um, I believe the song was originally written about a friend of the band that passed away um, from a drug overdose or something. Like one of them had lost a friend in a pretty tragic way and they were kind of reflecting on that. Cash uh, recorded the song shortly after his wife passed away. And the, the chorus is something like, um, but you can have it all, my empire of dirt. Um, I will let you down, I will make you hurt. So like throughout the chorus and throughout most of the song, he's like, pretty in Solomon's head here. Um, like, what is the point of this? I'm just gonna let you down. I'm gonna cause you pain. I'm gonna make you suffer. Um, but then at the end, he offers this like little message of hope. Um, you can have my, uh, you can have it all, my empire of dirt. Um, but if I could start again a million miles away, um, I would lose it all, I would find a way. And it's like kind of this, this turn towards, if I could just have this little relationship back and I could just experience the joy that is present before me, there would be an incredible beauty to it that I would give up all of this for. And on some level, I think kind of turning this in, in a Christian direction, that ought to be our desire. I could pastor a church with a thousand people in it on a Sunday morning, and that would bring me, you know, no real sense of satisfaction, more than just having a great relationship with my wife. Um, that immediate beauty in front of me is more important. That immediate relationship in front of me is more important. Um, Josh, I'm sure that you would trade, you know, all the success in the world for just an opportunity to be with your son and to enjoy that relationship and to, to help him grow, right? We will trade our empire of dirt for the goodness that God has given us and the goodness that we don't need to search hard to find. So go find your beach. Yeah, well, and maybe something that's notable in these in these eleven verses from Ecclesiastes is that Solomon doesn't note he doesn't note people. He talks about the the world around him. He talks about the kind of accomplishments. Um, Wealth, I, I think, can like he talks about things. And for the most part, there are things that are bigger than him and beyond his control, like the winds, the the forces of the rivers and, and streams, the uh, the sun and the moon and the stars in their paths, like um, time and that has itself. Me kind of, if, if you reframe this, uh, all these things that are beyond us. It's not our place to control them anyway. Yeah. Right? Like, 
So if we keep ourselves, if we keep ourselves in our place, which is as creation, as below, like God takes care, God will take care of the sun. He'll take care of, like he takes care of the big stuff. And we, we kind of stay in our lane. Again, I think we avoid this kind of, uh, this attitude because the reality, like, what are you going to do? And I think that's, that's somewhat like generations are going to come generations are going to go it's like what what are you what are you going to do about it right um even even the most wealthy powerful men and women in the world it's like what can they really do really i mean like god can still take like god could could kill them immediately and and everything would be for nothing right mm-hmm. Um, but if we kind of state, well, what has God called us to not us specifically, but generally, well, he's called you to be a spouse. Maybe he's called you to be a a friend, a brother, a sister, uh, a mentor. He's called you to be a church member. He's called you to be a, uh, a good citizen. He's called you to be a good employee. Uh, heck he's called you to be a polite customer. When you go, like, these are the things that God has said, these these tasks are for you. So it circles back to go do something, preferably something God has has called you to do. Um, And then you don't have to worry about this so much, I think. Stay in your lane. Find your beach. Yeah. So when we started this off, like I mentioned how this is, this can be a difficult text to preach, especially for preachers who have a hard time kind of getting out of the law part of their sermon. Um, It's easy to get stuck in a rut on this text. But what we don't necessarily see in this text, but something that as Christians, we can reflect on and know is the kind of broader implication of what life really is. It's not that, you know, we look out, we see the forces of, of the world that are greater than ourselves, you know, things like time, the, the, the movement of the planets and stars and, and all of this and go, well, what am I? What, what insignificant, you know, speck am I? Well, you're the insignificant speck that Jesus died for. That's not so insignificant. Yeah. The very God of the universe who partook in the creation itself came into the world to die for you. And even if you sit there like Solomon stewing and feeling like nothingness in the midst of this world, he still thought you were of enough value to die for you yeah so looking at verse two that a previous translation i'm assuming niv because this is how i memorized it meaningless meaningless says the preacher everything is meaningless no and if you ask well why like what's my meaning what why does my life have meaning why do i have meaning 
because God said you do, right? Like that's mm -hmm. because he has declared it thusly. He loved you enough to make you and he loved you enough to die for you. So you have meaning. I think that's actually a pretty good place to end. That makes this one of our shortest episodes ever, I think. Can I end with a really bad sermon analogy? Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. Okay, cool. So, you know how I said we should find our beach? But, like, your beach should be right in front of you somewhere? I mean, ideally, what are you going to do? Look at a beach from 100 miles away? Oh, the waves look really good today. Sure, yes. But, like, I mean, you don't need to, to go adventuring to the ends of the earth to find your beach. That's what I mean. Like, you find that in, in the relationships and the community that you have all around you. This is where my bad sermon analogy comes in. The, their, their whole thing was find your beach, and then there's, like, a they, they pan out, like, person to five people or whatever, sitting on the beach, drinking Coronas, uh, and just enjoying a sunset or something. Instead, let your beach be you either, you know, knees on a cushion at the rail, drinking the blood of Jesus, or however your church does communion, your communion practice. But like, let the refreshment be from Jesus. <laughs> Do we need to walk back any hairs there? Now I'm thinking about that analogy as a preacher and the amount of work, the amount of intellectual legwork you would have to put in to actually make that a useful analogy in any way would make it not helpful for a sermon context anyway. This is why I predicated this with it's a bad sermon analogy. Jeez, I... <laughs> I pray for Ben's congregation if he's coming up with analogies like that. Oh, don't worry. Lord. That's not what we're talking about this week. Um, actually, when this comes out, I will be doing a, a communion-themed sermon the Sunday after. So if I break out that analogy, it's because I struggle to come up with anything else. Yeah, and you have my permission, his congregation, throw something at him. Okay. Preferably nothing that's like going to give him a concussion, but uh, some like paper, so, like something needs to be thrown at him if he tries to make communion analogies with finding a beach. Like, there's so many better directions you can go with either with using the find a beach or with communion. Do better, Benjamin. I will. Don't worry. I will. Of that, I have no doubt. Uh, is, do you want that to be your takeaway? No. You got a better one for us? Sure. I, I think my takeaway in, the, in all of this is, uh, I mean, we kind of talked about this when we were talking about Find Your Beach, but like, um, if you are starting to feel lost and hopeless as you look at the world and your inability to really make a, a significant impact on that, you're, you're thinking too big scale. Um, that's not what God necessarily has in mind for you. Um, even the most significant figures in history, rarely are they ever having an impact on more than a handful of people around them 
in a real tangible way. So turn to your neighbor, turn to your family, turn to the people in your congregation, um, find those people around you that God has called you to be in community with and, and show them Christ and see if you can see Christ in them. Uh, and I'm guessing it'll have a significant brightening effect on your day. So I think my takeaway, I got, I got four little pithy sayings for you. Uh-oh. Find your beach. That's we're gonna get there. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, heck, I'll start there. Find your beach. Be with people. Do something, and stay in your lane. Those are the four things that I want you to take away. And if if you missed the meaning of those, you need to listen to the the episode again because we covered that already. Not going to reinvent the wheel. Um, I think this might be the last shameless plug we do because I feel like who cares? You know we want you to subscribe, whether or not we tell you. So do I it. Mean, we can always just abbreviate this to subscribe on your platform of choice. Leave us a message on Facebook if you want to get a hold of us. And buy we our shirts. To, we want to hear your topic suggestions and buy our shirts. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Brothers and sisters in Christ, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, Jack and Mike. Closing. Statements. You're welcome. Nonsense.